0: And if you know Ergo, we love independent and we love shit not being locked down. So. <laughs> so go ahead and get Overcast for free on the App Store. Hey, hey, this is Ergo. We are back again with another edition from this special Chicago Torture Justice anniversary suite. A great conversation that we are proud to share with you. We are introducing you to politicize healing with Mark Anthony Clayton Johnson. And Prentice Hemphill in this conversation is also led and moderated by none other than Ergo Homie and amazing movement leader, Aislinn Pulley, co-ED of the Chicago Torture Justice Center. Enjoy.
1: Welcome to uh, this event that I'm so excited to be a part of today, where we're bringing um, these really fantastic um, organizers and um, human beings and healing practitioners with us. And I'm thrilled to be able to engage in conversation with them. Um, This is part of our series, month-long series of events that we're holding all throughout the month of May. Um, May is both the birthday of the uh, sh- uh, center, the Chicago um, Center. Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm looking in the, <laughs> the Chicago Torture Justice Center. It's our four year um, anniversary, and it's also the 6th year anniversary of the reparations ordinance, which was passed on May 6, 2015, as a result of over 30 years of torture survivors and family members, mothers. Um, organizers, attorneys on the ground fighting um, to make sure that the city of Chicago is held accountable for the, the, the legacy of torture that occurred and was led by former Commander John Burge, and that continues to this day. So we are excited. We have been celebrating, and we've been using this month to speak to the many issues that continue to need um, need public attention and need, um, organizing around, um, as well as taking time to step back and reflect on how we got here, um, how we are in this moment, why we are in this moment and, um, where, where we are striving to go. And there've been so many learnings. Um, there've been learnings around just how institutional torture is to, not just policing, but the the entire system as a whole, Um, how many mechanisms of torture have been invisibilized and erased and bringing visibility to it and naming it as torture is important to the work. Um, And there've been so many learnings around the impacts of torture, which is really what we um, are focusing a lot of our work around at the center is that the impact of torture affects not just the individual who is the recipient, um, but also has a cumulative effect on the family, on our loved ones, on our communities, um, and our, our cities and regions as a whole. Um, and so really taking time to unpack how it reverberates throughout our entire um, life and and world um, is is really critically important. So my name is Aislin Foley. Um, I am one of the co-executive directors of the Chicago Torture Justice Center, and I am so thrilled to bring um, to you all um, two really really awesome and brilliant people: Mark Anthony Clayton Johnson and Prentice Kempu. And I'm just going to read you a little bit of from their bios, which you can read their full bios from on our website, which is chicagoturchofjustice.org. Mark Anthony is a licensed acupuncturist and experienced organizer who served as director of health and wellness at Dignity and Power Now. Mark Anthony is a teacher with um, uh, BOLD, which stands for Black Organizers for Leadership and Dignity. was also a 2017 Soros Justice Fellow, which I didn't know. So (laughs) Um, that's awesome. Um, And Mark Anthony founded the Frontline Wellness Network, which is a California statewide network of healthcare providers working to end the public health crisis of incarceration through political education and bridging relationships between providers and grassroots organizations, and really have been at the forefront of Stopping Jail Construction, and Expansion of Incarceration in California. Um, It's really awesome work. Prentice, Texan-born healer, movement facilitator, somatics teacher, and writer, living and working at the convergence of healing, individual, and collective transformation, and political organizing. Prentice has spent many years developing, learning, contributing to powerful organizations such as Generation Five. Communities United Against Violence, um, as well as so many others. Prentice um, also teaches with Black Organizing for Leadership and Dignity or BOLD and has also formed um, the new, um, looking for the name, um, uh, Black Embodiment Institute. Is that the correct name? Black Embodiment Initiative? Yes, okay which I, I am really, really so excited uh, to, to be learning about. So without further ado, I wanna welcome them in. So our first question, and I'll just jump right into it. And Cindy, who's the other co-director is gonna also be helping um, with the facilitation here. Uh, but the first question is um, is is around both of you all's long lineage of, of um, of work extends back to um, uh, the documented and both undocumented um, realities of politicized healing that we draw from um, in our immediate memories as well as ancestrally. And I'm curious to know why for, for each of you, is it necessary to have a politicized lens to working with survivors of state violence.
2: Okay, I'll start. (laughs) Well, first, I'm just really grateful to be with you all. Thank you for the invitation. These are um, some of my favorite people um, doing some of the most amazing work that I know about. So I feel really honored for the invitation, especially on the birthday of Malcolm and Yuri and Lorraine Hansberry too. It feels like a magical day to be gathering. Um, I feel like, you know, Mark Anthony and I have worked together for many years and we also kind of before there, we were connected to people in other places talking about politicized healing or healing justice. He's been someone that I've been in conversation and work in for a long time. And, um, I think that when we both kind of started asking these questions around, um, what is politicized healing? What does it mean? What does it offer? We were both, and I don't want to speak for you, Mark Anthony, but this is my sense. Um, really trying to understand the impact of the carceral state on our communities and specifically understand the kinds of traumas that people coming out of that system and out of prisons and jails were experiencing, um, and that feels like the, a place where my questioning and exploration around trauma really begins. Um, and I think it's important because um, one, that the kind of trauma that is experienced in these carceral settings, it, it is so far reaching and it impacts families, communities. It, it reaches across geography Um, It reaches through generations of our families, and it can be a very just isolating experiences for all the ways that people experience it. I think it's really important for us to be thinking about politicized healing for formerly incarcerated folks. In some ways for me, I'm like, how do we counteract the trauma of the criminalizing and all the ways that it disconnects, all the way that it pathologizes, all the ways that it is really designed to um, do these things relationally and in our communities. How do we counteract that? Um, which you know is some of the most um, I think our I think our folks, our people, our families that are having these experiences are experiencing the. One of the heaviest aspects of this system, one of the most persistent, pervasive, violent, overwhelming um, strategies around disconnecting us from each other, from our freedom and liberation, um, they are moving through that, surviving through that, living through that. And if we're really going to understand what healing is, what healing trauma is, I think it's important for us to learn from to support the folks that are experiencing um some of the most devastating impacts of our current system so that's why it's important
0: for me yeah Um, yeah thank you as well ctjc Um, i'm really excited to have this conversation and also just like always really motivated, impressed, and humbled by the work that you all do. Um, and yeah, I totally agree. I mean, Prentice and I have been in these conversations at various phases and various spaces in our work. Um, and I think there's like a couple things that I see as themes in the conversation that we've been trying to grapple with and also make interventions around as we practice politicized healing and try and implement it in the movement work that we're situated in. And one, I think what providing what, what a politicized healing frame offers us is, is an opportunity to disrupt the individualization of health, right? Just like disrupt this idea that we are sick because our bodies are somehow deficient or somehow um, inadequate or these things, right? While at the same time, making visible what produces health and, what, and well-being and what undermines it. And so I think a lot of some of the clarity that has come out of some of the conversations uh, that Prentice and I have is just this idea that for me, health is really the outcome of political strategies that have been waved, waged for and against our lives. Um, and we can see that throughout history, right? And so I think what's really amazing and impressive and exciting about this moment that we're in is that folks are applying this politicized healing um, frame, uh, not just as an adjunct uh, to the work and the community work and the organizing and the strategizing and the campaigning, but really situating it as central to to like fundamentally disrupt uh, the systems of power that we're up against. And so um, I find that to be one of of the gifts and one of the clarities that feel really useful for us right now.
3: Amazing. I love you all so much. Um, thank you both for that. I mean, I think there's so much that you all are saying and have said over the time that we've gotten to know you that feels just so right. It's like, yes, that is what I feel. That is what I've seen over the twenty something years that we've been doing this work, um, and that helps inform how we're moving forward. So it's like that that piece. And one of the offerings that has come from Brazilian Strategies, which I know is the group that you all um, were co bleeding for a while. Um, and I believe maybe Prentice, this came birthed out of your brain or your, your heart, um, this definition that you offered around op- oppression. Um, and so for folks who aren't familiar with the definition, um, you've probably seen it in some of our writings and heard us say it because we quote it often is that oppression is how society organizes itself to control the distribution of trauma. And I think when I first heard that, I mean, I ferociously was writing it down and it was like everything that I knew to be true and it has really helped inform our strategy of how we're working. And so I think we were in prepping for this, Asen and I were really wanting to ask you all like, where did that definition come from? You know, what was the thought? Like, how did that emerge? Is it something you've been playing with? Is it something that went off? Just really curious about where that came from and also wanting to give so much gratitude for the offer of putting it out into the world. So that, that feels important too.
2: I think it kind of came from, you know, in the beginning when we started our project, Resilient Strategies, I really miss those times. We've both kind of gone to do other projects, but in the beginning, it was just such a, we were just like, okay, what are all the things you think? What are all the things you think? And, um, there's just so it was so much richness in the conversation to have a place to be like, all right, what have you been learning? What have you been learning in trying to uh, practice politicized healing and trying to make that offering? And I, I really feel like in that moment, there was just a lot of sharpening. I think a lot of things got sharpened in um, kind of each of our work. And that was, for me, um, I think it began. it began in some ways, it began in those conversations. And it also began in a kind of like clarity on one is we were kind of wrestling with what is trauma? How does it operate? What do we know about it? Um, It just really started to occur to me (laughs) that this understanding of trauma is not kind of a mysterious one. We know that it replicates. We know that it reproduces, we know that it moves generationally. And um, I think we know that intuitively, we know that inherently, you know, it's a basic kind of like cause and effect principle of life. (laughs) Something happens and then there are things that happen. And um, it just really occurred to me, the ways in which our trauma was useful, utilized, exploited, created, um, curated, you know, with that level of thoughtfulness, um, and the awareness of the impacts that it would then have and how, um, just what challenges that, that creates for us in our struggles towards liberation and freedom. And so, um, it was kind of an overwhelming feeling. And it is when I kind of sink into, what does that mean? (laughs) That there might be forces or a logic that would say, oh, what we're actually doing, or at least one of the significant outcomes of this project of oppression and all the ways that it manifests and colonization, white supremacy, patriarchy, all these ways, is to create a lingering experience, a transferable experience of pain, of disconnection, of, you know, um, to separate us from our our sense and source of power. Um, And I, you know, I had come up and been politicized to understand oppression in certain ways that have been revelatory to me. And I think that it was... um, another layer of it for me to say oh okay this is like yes structural yes material yes you know we can map out all the ways that it like shapes communities and neighborhoods and i'm like oh but the 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 desired impact is the experience and the transference of trauma for so many people and yeah i think to to frame it like that for me is is deeply like it's deeply disturbing, but it makes clear for me kind of what our work is to be. And those I think the the pieces that Mark Anthony was sharing about kind of what what we are in many ways working to win is these is is choicefulness, is wellness, is all of these things. And you know, all the all the political work that we do is ultimately working to create kind of restore wellness or create wellness on our terms for our community. So um, yeah, I think it can really inform the depth and direction of our work to understand oppression
0: on that level. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know if I have much more to add here. I mean, I think that's, that's so right. Um, And I remember really grappling with in our early conversations, this idea that um, health and well-being is is produced very intentionally or it's undermined very intentionally and was moving from that place uh, really as part of a, uh, a concept to politicize healthcare providers and say, look, you know, the work you're doing in the treatment room has to extend outside of that because your patients are literally ex- dealing with, again, these strategies that are working to deproduce well-being in their actual lives and so our one-to-one treatment relationships are not enough um but i think what prentice's definition outlines so clearly and it's like really really clarifying um is that it, the, one the time dimension of it right the idea that like the impact is not just about the moment but it is about creating recurring and influencing our nervous systems our bodies our, our relationships, our relationship to intimacy, our relationship to vulnerability, our relationship to courage, all those things in a way that makes it that much more challenging to confront power uh, in a really systemic way. And so I I think that uh, that definition of oppression is is so clear um, and so important. And it really becomes not just a concept, but a tool for me to actually read and look at the world and read and look at how do I interpret the moves that our targets are making, right, in our campaigns? How do I look at um, the moves that our Sheriff's Department is making locally, that our Department of Health Services is making locally? And are they producing and distributing more trauma, more powerlessness, more lack of safety, uh, more undermining of relationship and trust, or are they doing something different, right? And at the same time, are we doing that? right? And I, and I think that that's becomes an important standard for us to think about tactics or think about the cultures of our organizations. And so um, I remember when I remember when I first heard Prentice say and offer this definition and it was deeply unsettling, but also really motivating at the same time.
1: Sitting with a um, big question of why, but it, a why is often what drives me toward organizing. It has it has been a big engine for me, um, a catalyst for, for a lot of my work. Um, I'm wondering if you all can speak to the why. Why do the systems that currently dominate power, um, why are they organized in this way? Which is a big open-ended question. And then also if you could touch on what does liberation mean when understanding that the systems conspire to distribute trauma um, as part of the project of oppression?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I can, I can, I can jump in. I mean, I think a really basic and terrible answer is that one of the reasons why is because it works. Um, and you know, when I think about um, you know, the the experiments that we used at Dignity Power Now, where we were experimenting with creating pop up wellness clinics in front of the county jails, where we we're literally providing acupuncture and massage and talk therapy and herbal workshops for people who are visiting their families, for people who, uh, you know, were dealing with the uncertainty of not being able to track their family member down who was in a mental health crisis and had been taken into custody. Um, you, you, you know, who had, who had just experienced violence by the sheriffs and it was radio silence within the jails and they didn't know the status of their loved ones. Um, it is those experiences are deeply debilitating. Um, and I think one of the things that we saw is that the more we integrated the healing work uh, into the actual campaign building, into the organizing, into the actual leadership development, the more it became possible, right? The more that You know, we we had leaders who would throw down and were ready to confront the sheriff's department. We're ready to sit in these meetings and point out the inconsistencies in their logic and their budgets and all these things and protest. And would also right after those meetings say, you know, I know that after this meeting, I'm going to have flashbacks. What happened to me? I'm going to have insomnia for the next three days. Uh, I'm going to feel anxious for the remainder of the week. Uh, What can we do? Right. And so without a politicized healing response that's that's what we see that distribution of trauma working it is built to disrupt our ability to confront power and so when we started to experiment with with doing these things and folks were having concrete results folks were feeling having less flashbacks having being able to sleep after a a a meeting and an argument with the sheriffs um where they told their actual story of what happened the material reality is our campaigns became more powerful. Our leaders became more powerful, right? And so I think the why is, is that it works. And then on the politicized healing front, it just disrupts it in a fundamental way, um, which is why I think this moment is so exciting.
2: I love talking to Mark Anthony for, like, everything. Like, honestly, y'all, this person is amazing. So amazing. Not like truly. Um, yeah. Everything that he just said. And um, we had some conversations back in the day about, I'll just add a, a different layer maybe of like, just our reactive cells are just not choiceful in the way that um, allows us to Build and generate power, and I think uh, it's just really helpful to try to create conditions in which people will remain reactive, even if that reactivity is uh, a nuisance or an inconvenience. It's still controllable to a degree. It's still it's still disorganizing, fundamentally, and so it's really useful to create spaces where people are reactive and therefore disorganized and therefore have a harder time collaborating and therefore have a harder time building um, collective power. So it continues to be a really useful way of disorganizing us, having us leak power. It works.
1: Thank you both. We have a question in from one of our um, dear community members who is a torture survivor by the name of James Gibson. And he wrote, how do you heal from being taken away from your family, never having a chance to get married? He said that he's at a point where he doesn't wanna talk anymore. He wants to see policy changes now. And that's why he's doing the work that he's doing against the city. That we need policies or that we as a people will die inside prison waiting for years to be heard.
3: I'll just add on to that because I think James is posing a really important question that we're often hearing um, at the center is really, and you both t- touched upon this already in your previous answers, that relationship between healing and power building. And how does it, how is it a really a transformative relationship and not a transactional relationship, right? So if you all can talk about to those things um
0: thank you james um i think you asked a really important and difficult question um and i think uh you know i moved from the place that healing is a process and healing is a journey and i um, i and i think that's important because again uh i think it's important to disrupt this notion that healing is about
2: <clears throat>
0: i think it's important to disrupt the idea that healing is about an outcome that means we forget, or we were not ever, or we reject harm, right? But we actually integrate it into an identity that is purposeful and meaningful. Uh, And that identity is so person-specific, right? And so, um, you know, I think we have to really be responsive to what folks are saying uh, in terms of what healing looks like for them what that journey looks like for them what are the skills and capacities and realities and longings that they want um and i think that was part of kind of the experiment we were having at at dpn was really trying to listen to survivors and listen to them say this is something that would be helpful talk therapy is not helpful for me but ear acupuncture is right um you know uh sitting in a circle and sharing my stories with others that's helpful in some contexts it's re-traumatizing in others but sitting down and getting body work is really helpful right it's just so different for all of us um but i think having it really directed by each person and really with that that really self-determining question of what does the outcome look like for you and how do you want to integrate this experience into your vision of what you're trying to produce in the world feels like you know, my charge as someone who considers practicing politicized healing um, uh, a calling is really to figure that out uh, and to figure that out collectively and collaboratively.
2: Yeah, that feels really right to me too. I think um, what what's coming to me with your question, James, is just like, there's just so much that I individually don't know. I will share my ideas, but there's so much I don't know and so much that I think through your journey, through all of our journeys, we come to an answer in that question. And I think that you will probably discover a key, a depth, a, a nuance, something that I can't even know is there this moment. So I just want to say that. And I I think some of our, like some of my best guesses as a practitioner or some of the things, maybe I'll I'll put it like this that I want for each of us in our healing process or journey is, you know, as survivors of state violence or survivors generally of violence in which I would include myself, um, that there's a restoration of our sense of agency, meaning I can make choices because that's so much of what the state and what oppression tries to take away from so many of us is that our choices matter in the world. The choices that we make have impact it really tries to like close in and be like, Oh, all the choices you try to make actually aren't going to shift anything for you. So how do we, um, what are the things that bring back that sense of I can make choices? And then what are this, how do we keep healing our ability to be vulnerable, our ability to listen, which are the skills of belonging with each other because we're social creatures, social animals. It's so important for us to belong and to do that well, We have to practice both vulnerability, showing our hearts and practice listening, receiving another's brilliance, wisdom, magic, all of that. And then other piece, I feel like, you know, I I feel it so much in CCJC's work of like, because we are meaning making creatures, purpose is so critical for us. So that's where I feel like organizing and the way we build culture around organizing it it can touch on our belonging, it can touch on our agency and choice, and it can also reinforce or clarify our purpose, which is so important for us. So I just feel like those maybe are some of the ingredients and the journey and the discoveries are all so different and um, necessary. We're all discovering through our own healing processes. Oh, you know what else is in here? You know what else is possible?
3: You know what else this can do? So, yeah, that. So one of the things that drew me to the to the work and to the was like really impressive. To this to the center to the Chicago Church of Justice Center was the brilliance that had come through to developing the reparations ordinance, right, and creating a holistic reparations ordinance that would even acknowledge that there is some kind of psychological, spiritual, emotional impact to state violence to systematic st- state violence over time. Um, and I think there's so many conversations happening around reparations that don't include that at all. And so I'm curious from y- y'all's perspective, how a healing-centered framework or a healing justice-centered framework exp- can-, can expand our understanding of reparations um, as a process and an integral part of repair, um, which is the big question. Um, and then I think th- seated in there, there was a question that came through also on Facebook around you know, what happens for folks who don't necessarily realize, recognize the need for healing, right? There's, tra- we're talking about, if we're talking about trauma in the way that you, we all have defined it, people are traumatized and often don't understand how that trauma works. It looks in their bodies or looks in the ways that they're moving. So I think given that feels kind of resonant to this bigger conversation around reparations and what the, the, um, how the a healing center framework adds to that especially when we're talking about people who might not recognize the need for healing in that way.
2: I can just maybe answer briefly here. Some of what's coming to me is that, well, one, I feel like you all are really leading the way here. Honestly, I feel like you're y'all should be answering this question probably um, to be honest. But I, I think what a politicized healing frame can clarify for us is what a win looks like because we may inadvertently be trying to win in ways that aren't actually liberatory or maybe may winning in a certain, a different context, winning inside of this system kind of thing. So a reparations frame that has a politicized healing framework, I think is, is it, it's inviting, opening the space for the question, what does it even mean to win? What do our lives look like when we win? what does it feel like when we win? you know what I mean? So I, I feel like that's what y'all are doing. Um, that's what I hope some of what we're doing is like, how do we trouble the waters on what it means to win, what it means to repair um, if we're talking about reparations, so that we can have a really liberatory understanding so that so that reparations changes our lives in the direction that is liberatory. <laughs> I mean, to the other question around repair, I I do a lot of conflict facilitation and it's very clear to me how repair is a very mysterious terrain for so many of us. And I can think of very few examples on a mass scale of what repair has looked like. I can think in my life personally of maybe one or two examples of what repair has looked like on an interpersonal level, even a community level. So there's so much that needs to shift and is shifting around these frameworks that are opening up new possibilities in our practice. Like, what does repair really mean? What will repair (laughs) what has happened? Like, let's ask these real questions, you know? Um, I think even the work we're doing of like, what is trauma? and trying to not only talk about it, but reveal it to be political, I think starts to include more people and more stories. I think people start to be like, oh, okay, well, if that's it, then that's also something that I understand. So I think that's part of our work too, is like, okay, they told us inside of this individualistic, kind of like commodified wellness world, um, trauma, healing, it gets super narrow. You go into your, I'm a therapist, but you go into your therapist's office and you can change your whole life. Just the two of y'all working it out. As opposed to this thing that lives inside of the collective, lives inside of the whole, it is culture. It is the way we get down. It is how we do things. It generates healing. So I think that um, the more we keep reframing, the more we keep Keep legitimizing our own experiences and stories, the more people will will um, understand, not only understand themselves in that framework, but contribute to it in a way that keeps having us understand um, what all of these things really mean. It's going to transform our practice. You know, if we're like, oh, we're for a long time we didn't even think about ourselves as having experienced trauma. You know, not until recently could we say, oh, I experienced, oh, that was trauma. And now it's transforming our practice. So we have to keep doing that disruptive work of um, in- including ourselves in the story of what needs repair, who has been harmed, who, who is a human being. All of these things um, have to be
0: disrupted. Definitely. I mean, I, I want to link something that Prentis just said with something that James has just said. Right? This idea of like what needs to be repaired and James had lifted up this idea that pain is knowledge and knowledge is power. And I feel like there's a relationship between the two that really does articulate harm as a source of political imagination um, in the right context. And I I think that to me is some of the work that CTJC is doing in a really incredible way. uh, And that invites a reparations conversation in a necessary way. And I think that, you know, again, just like, thinking really practically about our members and our leaders at DPN, like, if if they are survivors of abuse inside of the jails, and um, we have a stated commitment to stop harm, and every time they walk by the jail or drive by the jail, they experience some pretty intense uh, flashbacks, or heart racing, or anxiety—what does that say about the actual infrastructure that needs to exist or not exist? Right? If every time uh, an officer drives by in a car, um, similar things are happening in our bodies, what does that say about the reallocation of our budgets and what type of vehicles we need to be seeing in our, in our lives? Right? Like, and so I, I think it is. The reparations conversation is a really, really critical one. And I think uh, merging that and inviting the politicized healing conversation or the trauma conversation in there is so important uh, to really thinking boldly, um, creatively about how to acknowledge, stop, and prevent harm. Uh, and and i'm I'm excited about the ways in which these politicized healing conversations invite us to think, about the ways our bodies require our built environment to change.
1: I think both of you touched on this a little bit, what we lose or risk when we engage in movement work that does not engage healing or that does not understand the politicized nature of healing.
0: Sure. this, I mean, I think this is an important question. I think it's important to why there's such a reinvigoration around politicized healing right now, too. I think a lot of us come from movement spaces, organizations, places, time periods where the idea was that your healing doesn't belong in this organization. The impacts of trauma on your thinking, your habits, your emotional range, all those things don't belong to in the power building process of this organization or this campaign, Um, the narrative that healing was something you did outside of the movement, right? The the, the movement didn't incorporate opportunities, um, resources, uh, a clear understanding of that. And so I think what we lose is people, (laughs) right? Opportunities to actually see each other honestly, um, skill sets to actually help us move through very, difficult human things. You know, I think we lose the opportunity for our organizations to be more skillful, to take on more pressure. Um, and yeah, I can just think of a lot of moments where we've just lost members or lost leaders um, in our organizations because we didn't know how to read, how to hold, how to see or design processes to support our folks as we were doing this work which again is part of that intention. It's part of uh, that definition that Prentice lifted up earlier, right? It's about building built-in limitations to the development and progress of our work. Yeah.
2: One of the things I've been thinking about lately, this might be be a weird thing to say, so I'm trying to figure out how to say it, not weird, is like how much our emotional selves, our internal experience of ourselves, is so colonized and there's so many ways to feel and there's so many choices to make internally that I feel like um, we are just beginning to learn and and re, I don't know what the word is, um, just bring back our like capacity for nuance and um, it's just, I think that when we don't do that, you know, we say, if we're not aware of it, we might replicate what came before. And it's really that. I think when we start to do this work together and more, there are things that are beyond our current imagination that are possible to feel, There are that are possible to do, there are kinds of relationships that we can have with one another that we may not have experienced. If we're like, Oh, I've only experienced, I go to work or I've only experienced um, you're my family or I have friends, but then there's all these other relationships that we can have where we like, Oh, we believe in a similar thing, but we don't have to be best friends. Or there's just like layers of experience to have that actually what it serves to do is keep us together in really hard things. But when we don't have the kind of maps internally to create a lot of different possibilities for how we might move, when hard things happen, we got what, three options. You know what I mean? I'ma be quiet, I'ma fight you, i am whatever. It's like we have maybe three options. So like, when we understand what healing uncovers, how it relates to our, our, our imagination, our ability to be creative, strategic, to, um, express ourselves authentically. It, those are the places where we start to leak and lose power. And it, it just like having those options creates these tethers of connection where more things become possible. Um, and then, you know, I haven't revisited this thought in a while, but it's something that comes to me. It's like that choicefulness, that ability to like make these new moves, to have new kinds of relationships. To me, that's what liberation is in part. That's where we're going. Is that place more? Um, It's not that everything's going to be good all the time or nobody's going to get on your nerves ever, but it's, to me i'm like i want for our people to have the experiences of life not disproportionately i don't want to be like oh y'all are going to have way more of this and very little of this i want us to feel the ups and downs the waves the engagement the sorrow the joy i want all of that in the measure that is afforded one's life without the you know the pressure of human generated Um, oppression. So that's what liberation really means for me. And I think that this politicized healing is kind of pointing in that direction of like, this is what we're talking about. We're trying to move things around so that actually serves people's experiences of their, of their lives and their development.
3: It's really great. And I think that that speaks to a lot of the conversation that seems to be happening on the live stream right now. And maybe we'll wrap with this last question is that there seems to be a lot of questions oriented to what you're raising, Prentice, around like, well, then how, right? How do we then incorporate this framework? How do we do this work? There was a question around the current move to take, um, to have police not respond to mental health crises and send kind of mental health professionals instead. But we all know, because we've already talked about, it's all of our systems, right, that help distribute and control trauma, right? So we know that um, that mental health professionals have the same internalized gunk, because I'm on the live stream, I guess, um, that, that the rest of us have. So I think the question is like the how, how do we start practicing different? Um, how do we start moving different? How do we start incorporating this, especially when we're talking about healing as a self-determined act, right? Or acts that we're engaging in.
2: How? So many
3: ways. How all the ways, the
2: things you're imagining, that's a way. You're imagining over here, that's one way. Um, I think it takes absolutely all the ways because if you think about how our lives are constructed and controlled in this environment, there are a million different ways that that is happening. So all of those ways. And I think sometimes people are asking like, does that mean my organization needs to do A, B, C, or D? I think it's like, what's the next possible step for whatever space system organization projects you're in what's the next step that opens up just that much more space? I don't think this is something we're gonna get right right now. I think we're all gonna keep trying things that are going to um, open up a little bit more space. Some of them are going to make a lot of mistakes. Some of them are going to discover something liberatory. So I think it's hard to say like, this is the next step but I think all of us can generate um, these things with this kind of like, what do we have in mind does it open up more space? Does it create more breath? Does it increase our capacity to be together? Whatever these things are and make a step that moves you a little bit um, closer there. And I, I feel like I'm gonna hand it over to Mark Anthony right now, cause he probably
0: has a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm right with you on that. I mean, like, I think it's, it's the, the, taking inventory of what you need, what are folks asking for, right? I need to sleep better. I need, I want to not feel anxious. I want to tell my story more. I would what, what, take inventory and then bring in what you have. Right. Um, you know, uh, again, we just started talking to providers. We say, Hey, look, we have this organization. Folks have experienced real abuses by the law, law enforcement. You're a therapist. Can you help? You're an acupuncturist. Can you help? You're a massage therapist. Can you know, and in providing those options to people and experiment what's working, What's not? What are people utilizing? What's not? What more do they want? I would also say have a standard for your outcomes, right? Have a standard for what you want providers to come in with, right? And so we, before we had folks work with our folks, we would do a training for them. You would say, here's, a, here's our folks. Here's the analysis of the world we want you to understand. Here's the type of consent we want you to practice, like all the things. And so what do your, what's your standard? Um, for the skill set you want people to bring um, to the work, you know, be willing to experiment and explore is really important. Um, and I, you know, when when I made the choice to, to study acupuncture, I struggled a, a bit because I was like, "It's going to take me away from my organizing work, right?" And I think if if had I not had I allowed the idea that I should always be organizing all the time. I, I, I should not take the time to develop this other skill. Like, we, I would just miss on a whole host of opportunities. So just, like, making room to talk out loud, to experiment with ideas, to put things on the wall and pursue things that you trust are part of a strategy to win, even if they will take time to implement, right? That was, for me, acupuncture was a four-year study process. And I'm so grateful that I had organizers and people and friends and folks, like, Prentice to help me ground and how to how is this going to apply to the real campaign work that we're doing? So I guess that's a that's a few things that I would.
1: Say. Thank you both so much for joining us. Um, this is such a such a great conversation, and every time I'm you know in a space where you all are, um, I just feel so much joy and um, and a privilege to be honest with you. Can you share where and how people can support you? Yep. Um, You can
2: check me out on Instagram. Um, My project, the Embodiment Institute, is on Instagram, the.embodiment.institute on Instagram. Um, Also, theembodimentinstitute.org. Yikes. Oh, that's right. And then um, on Instagram, just Prentice Hemphill, I think, is where you can... um, follow me, but a lot of my work is coming through the Embodiment Institute now, if you wanna follow that.
0: On on Twitter, at FlyEgrit, F-L-Y-E-G-R-E-T. F-L-Y-E-G-R-E-T um, and then look up Frontline Wellness Network um, on Instagram and Twitter. Um, uh, those are two ways you can, you can find us uh, and be happy to engage with folks on these questions.
1: Thank you both so much. Uh, it's such an honor to have you all be a part of this month-long um, celebration that we're holding. And I just want to invite all of the viewers to go to our website, chicagotorturejustice.org. Um, we're still raising money. So um, we, we get a small grant from the city, um, which is not guaranteed to continue beyond the end of this year. So we always are fundraising because we need to keep this work going so if you are able to contribute you know that's also a great great way of connecting thank you so much and thank you cindy for um co-moderating this panel and thank you veteran for running the tech behind the scenes. thank you prentice and thank you mark anthony for uh joining us today thank you so much thank
0: you all so much
3: come again come again come again